0: Welcome to the Internal Comms Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. Listeners, while you continue to grapple with keeping your workforces informed, galvanised and simply feeling connected in the midst of this global pandemic, I thought I'd reach out to one of the most experienced, respected and listened to voices in our field, Shell Holtz. For many of you, I know that Shell will need no introduction. But just in case, let me give you some headlines. Shell's career began in communications in 1977, more than a decade before the invention of the World Wide Web. In 1994, he came up with the idea of using an intranet, a year before the word was even introduced, for enrolling people into their employee benefits. He has always embraced new technologies, particularly those that give people the opportunity to connect and create. Shell's written six books and is a recognized public speaker. I've been fortunate enough to catch several of his very popular presentations at the International Association of Business Communicators World Conference And I assure you, every time, it's been standing room only. Shell's list of in-house roles is impressive. Today, he is Director of Internal Communications at WebCore, the commercial construction company with offices and projects across California. Now, I had lots of questions for Shell, as you can probably imagine, about this pandemic. And he was very generous. You're about to hear plenty of practical advice and insight. And I have to say on a personal level, just watching Shell respond to my questions was instructive. The word professional doesn't even come close. There is a reason communicators have been listening to Shell podcast for more than 15 years. Now, if you have any thoughts or comments on this episode, I'd love to start a conversation about it. Please share them on Twitter using the hashtag TheICPodcast. I'm going to take over AB's Twitter feed, at ABThinks, and I'll be responding in person to every comment and question I receive. So listeners, without further ado, it is my absolute pleasure to bring you Shell Holtz. Shell, you have tremendous experience in comms, more than 40 years, so I'm massively grateful for you coming on the show to share with our listeners some insights and tips and hints and best practice that they can use throughout this crisis. So thank you very much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Just diving into your experience, And putting this crisis in context for us, how does it compare? People are using this word unprecedented everywhere. But in your experience, what's similar and what's different about this particular crisis? I think it's unprecedented
1: in terms of the scale and scope, but in a lot of ways, it's not at all unlike other crises. I mean, a lot of what's happening is planning for recovery, and it's not too complicated. Uh, We're not going to see cities leveled by hurricanes or earthquakes or floods, for example, Uh, Even the uncertainty is something we've dealt with before. If you look at uh, the aftermath of 9-11, wondering, is there going to be another attack? When's it coming? Where will it come from? Uh, What makes this different, you know, first of all, is the duration. It's just going on and on and on. And the uncertainty certainly exists around when we can start to get back to normal. Second, it's the grim outlook around things like uh, the number of cases exceeding hospital capacities. Third, it's the need to reinforce behaviors over a long, long period. You know, we're communicating about things like how to get along with your spouse in close quarters over a long period, for example, because we know that incidents of domestic violence are on the rise. So, you know, trying to address employee or other audience behavior, you certainly see it in the news. People after two weeks are leaving their homes and going out, they can't take it anymore. We have to help them figure out how to deal with this and stay put and follow the rules and still get their jobs done.
0: How is the current situation actually affecting you personally? I mean, clearly you work for a large construction company. These are not people that can build uh, buildings from home. So what's working for you at the moment? What's challenging? What are some of the biggest obstacles you're having to overcome at the moment?
1: Well, everyone who can work from home is working from home. Uh, That's virtually everybody in the office. Uh, We have uh, offices all over California. There occasionally are people who need to go into an office. For example, you can't run paychecks from home uh, for the union workers who get physical paychecks. So somebody has to go in and do that. But we're practicing the safe distancing and uh, they're going home as, as soon as they're done with that. Uh, Out on projects, the number of people who need to be on site on projects that are up and running, those have been whittled to the bone. One of the challenges has been the changing definition of what's essential Uh, right now. And I haven't checked to see if this has changed in the last couple of hours, but the California order says the construction is essential at one point. It wasn't. And then housing construction was essential, but commercial wasn't. Then all construction was essential. So we're opening projects as long as they can be operated safely. That includes social distancing and cleansing. The operations team came up with a 14-point process for making sure the projects won't be a place where coronavirus can be spread. We shared that 14-point process as an article on the intranet, so other employees knew what we were doing. Interestingly, we also got an email, and I should say it's a senior VP in operations got the email saying, I've been to four of these meetings from general contractors. This was a subcontractor. Uh, I've been to four of these in the last week. Uh, This is the only one where I felt like the general contractor actually cared Uh, about the well-being of the subcontractors. He went on and on, and he gushed about how great our company was. Uh, So we shared that email with employees, too, just to give them a sense that, you know, this is a company that has real serious values. They're not just words on the wall. These are guiding the decisions by the executives as we go through this. And here's an example of how this pays off with a subcontractor who would rather work with us than than anybody else. But you know, the rules keep changing, so the messaging changes. It it can get confusing. We've had to deal externally with posts on social media from some people who don't know that construction has been classified as essential and they're upset seeing people out working. Don't we care about them? And, you know, trying to find the right way to explain to them that, yes, it is considered essential. That's why we're working, but we're taking these steps to make sure that they're safe. And by the way, we've published our coronavirus management plan on our external website. So it's there for people to see. And it links to a document that explains how we keep project sites sanitized. So overall, I have to say things have been a lot smoother than I was worried that they would be.
0: I'm wondering whether that's because you acted pretty quickly in terms of your preparation. I noticed a post of yours on LinkedIn I think it's probably a couple of weeks old already, that said 80% of your work had been related to coronavirus. I'm conscious of the fact that some people are going to be in different stages of the curve in terms of their preparedness for this. What were you doing in those early days and weeks to prepare for the situation we're in now, just to illuminate people and maybe point them in the direction of things that they could be doing? I think
1: one of the roles of a communicator is environmental scanning, keeping your eyes on what's happening out there in the world that could affect you, and then alerting leadership. So every time I was in a meeting with leadership, I would reiterate that this is coming, it's not looking good, we need to prepare. And there was a certain amount of shrugging it off because we hadn't really seen an effect yet, and uh, it's, a, it's nothing you didn't hear anywhere else but i was preparing an internet page dedicated to coronavirus we were able to spin that up i think it was on march 2nd it got its peak number of views i i looked before we called on march 17th so you know people in the early days the, uh, of of this page being up were wondering what the big deal was and and then it became this tremendous resource It's a lot closer to 98% now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes,
0: I bet. There's a lot of information, and I'm going to use air quotes around that word online, about how we should be managing communications in this crisis. And I just wanted to help people cut through some of that noise. What are the key questions you think that internal communicators should be asking themselves right now in this crisis?
1: You want to give a lot of thought to what employees want to know the most. And is leadership willing to answer questions candidly and transparently? Are they ready to say, I don't know, when they get a question where the answer isn't uh, obvious to them, and to get the answer and and uh, share that later? How can you be of most help to people. So, you know, one of the things that happened in our organization, I guess it was about eight or 10 months ago, they made the decision out of the IT function to switch from Skype for Business to Microsoft Teams. It was not a mandate. Nobody said, we're going to get all of our groups now managing everything through Teams. It was just, it's a tool, it's a resource, it's there if you want it. Use it if if you'd like. And now, of course, with all of these employees working from home, suddenly Teams is a big deal. So we're now publishing a Teams tip of the day. Here's something you probably didn't know you could do with Teams, slash commands or naming your chats or, or things like that. And, and people like that. It's uh, You're not trying to sit them down for a whole tutorial. It's just, here's quickly one more thing you can use to make this easier for you. So how can you help? What can you do to keep the culture alive? And thriving Mm. because, you know, culture is so important. The employee experience is so important. In fact, at WebCore, the company where I work, employee experience is one of the four strategic plan milestone initiatives. There there are four of these five-year milestone initiatives, and the employee experience is one of them. Culture thrives when people are together. What happens when everybody's working from home? So, you know, how do you keep that alive? And are you measuring? And if you're not measuring, how do you know what you're doing is working? And there's a lot of ways that you can do that throughout this. Um, I'm certainly reviewing all the analytics from website visits, and, and uh, we're using banana tag for our emails. So we're able to track email opens and, and click-throughs and the like. We're scheduled to do our every two-year employee communication survey. And we've just added five questions at the beginning about how we're doing on coronavirus communication. I think that'll actually inspire people to go take the mm. survey.
0: Mm. No, that all sounds really good and very comprehensive. As you said at the, up front, there's a lot about this crisis that's still quite unknown, not least how long it's going to last for. What's your personal Attitude to risk. How do you evaluate risk in a crisis? I'm thinking here about that famous Donald Rumsfeld quote: the the known knowns and the unknown unknowns. There's many unknowns in this in this particular crisis. How should we handle that?
1: We simply have to be honest about that. Uh, we don't know. Uh, I, I have been so impressed with our leadership. One of the things we're doing is every Friday there's an all-employee Zoom call where members of the executive team are actually using Zoom webinars for this, so it's easy to take questions. We've had about 45 questions each one of these sessions. And by the way, we're publishing the Q&As. We're transcribing them and posting them. But they don't try to pretend that they know the answer to these things. When people are asking, what are we going to do about this, if that happens, they say, you know, we don't know if that's going to happen. You can talk about how the executive team is going about scenario planning how far ahead they're planning, what different scenarios they're looking at. But to try to pretend that you have, I mean, there's a reason they're called unknown unknowns, right? (laughs) Uh, It's hard to plan about something that you don't know. And you can spend a lot of time spinning your wheels uh, trying to plan for every possible variable. Doesn't make sense to do that. So we tell people, look, they're planning for the next couple of weeks. They're planning through June. Uh, past June, it's kind of ridiculous to try to see where it's going. We'll reevaluate in another two weeks and see how much farther we can get. But I, you just have to be upfront with people about that. Tell them what is being planned uh, and why the rest is you know being left to see how this plays out.
0: As ever, honesty being the best policy there. Yeah, I was lucky. People. It wasn't too. It wasn't too long before
1: I got to WebCorp that they had uh, voiced from the executive ranks the belief that uh, transparency had to improve in the organization. and they've been taking that very seriously.
0: It's good to hear. I'm wondering what you think about the prioritization of audiences in this crisis, because one thing I'm noticing is that, People are stepping up, not least CEOs, and saying we must put our people first here. And That's quite – it doesn't always happen. Do you see the line between internal, external likely to blur even further in this crisis, or should we be prioritizing our internal audience?
1: Yeah, I, I get the whole blurred line thing. I kind of reject the idea that employees are just another audience. Um, I, I've, I was – Back in my days as an independent consultant, I was working on a a project and I was working on the internet and they wanted somebody to come in and and strategize the whole internal communications function. And I referred them to somebody I thought would be great. They ended up bringing in somebody from a PR agency, uh, a team, and none of them had ever done internal communications. And, And when I questioned that, they said, oh, you know, it's just another stakeholder audience. It's just another public. And it's not. You know, Roger Dupree once called employees informed insiders. And if that doesn't suggest they need to be approached differently, I, I don't know what would. So, no, I, I think there are sharp distinctions between internal and external audiences, especially in this case. Employees have different questions and different concerns and more of them than I think external stakeholders do. If, if you can't address the concerns of employees, well, the consequences are going to be even worse than they are going to be anyway with this situation. We've already heard about headhunters calling employees, letting them know other construction companies have been having layoffs and then pitching jobs to them. We need to give them sound reasons to tough this out with us. Um, And that's just one example. There's concerns about potential scalebacks and benefits. Uh, One of the things that we did was uh, suspend the company match of the the 401k plan, which is the the retirement plan. So external audiences, I think it depends on the nature of the industry. Uh, Our external audiences are primarily owners and developers and subcontractors, and there are good channels for communicating with them. I think employees come first. And and by the way, in terms of communicating with external audiences, if I get one more email from somebody that I bought something from five years ago, <laughs> telling me that they're there for me, I, and, and and like I say, we are sharing our management plan on our external website. And we're telling employees it's there. Our president CEO writes occasional LinkedIn columns. We're sharing those internally. So, you know, there is a blurring of lines. There's, there's no doubt that that's happening. Uh, employees are consumers are employees, right? But it's just mm. not uniform. It's, it's not consistent all the time that you, you would approach it that way. I think you have to approach employees as informed insiders.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And Roger is someone I would love to have on the podcast at some stage. That would be amazing. I've been reading *In Search of the Corporate Soul*, which was written in the 70s, but yep. it's so relevant today. It's incredible. I've got
1: to tell you that *Managing for Change* was one of the most influential books I've read in my entire career.
0: We'll put all these in the show notes for people because I think they'll still find them very, very useful. I'm sorry, that's communicating for change, not managing. Communicating for change, yes. So internal comms can notoriously have quite, Yeah, I remember once in one organisation, I used to describe it as pushing water uphill with a fork, but we have these kind of long sign-off processes often, quite convoluted approval processes, and that just doesn't work in a crisis. You need immediate, fast reaction times. What sort of advice can you give IC teams that are maybe struggling to get information out as quickly as they would like?
1: Well, I think you need to negotiate that uh, at the beginning of the crisis. Um, Now, I'm lucky I don't have to get a lot approved. When, When I first started, I sat down with the general counsel and I said, what do I need to send you for approval? And he looked at me funny and he said, you don't have to send me anything. So we get reviews from the source. If it's something where there is a legal issue, it affects contracts or something, we'll run it by the general counsel or one of the legal team. But at the beginning of the crisis, I think you need to sit down with the leaders and say, information has to come fast and we have to figure out a way to get this approved. I think one of the ways that you do that is decide what doesn't need to be approved. What don't you need to run by somebody? Uh, I, I remember <laughs> I was uh, working with a, a chemical company in the earliest days of the intranet, and they started publishing on their, their nascent intranet. Uh, this had to be about 96, 97. And the lawyer said, we have to approve everything that goes up on the internet. And, and the guy who was running it called me and said, what do I do? I said, send them everything to approve. Uh, They got (laughs) overwhelmed with this flood of content and they finally said, whoa, whoa, we need to decide which of these things uh, actually require legal approval. In my case, you know, leadership is acutely aware that there is a need for timely responses and approvals. They're also crazy busy. So every now and then I have to nudge them. I I have explicit permission from the, the president and CEO to, you know nudge him. (laughs) He said, I haven't done something. Reach out. It's okay. I I got that early in my tenure there. Uh, They tend to respond positively. We were doing a story on our restart procedures and the senior VP who was responsible for that out in the operations was insanely busy. Um, But uh, yeah, I just kept pinging him, I'd send him an email. And if I hadn't heard from him in a couple hours, I'd I'd ping him on Teams. And eventually he would say, I'm really sorry. (laughs) This is fine. Go (laughs) with it. But be persistent. Um, Yes. So it really is set up the procedure up front and make sure they know it's different because it's a crisis and then just hammer them if they're they're not responding quickly enough.
0: It's interesting because I I know guys in the office in my team often say, oh, I can't chase that client again I really can't and i said, yes you can because in my experience clients turn around and say look I know I wasn't responding but I was very grateful for the reminder I'm very grateful that you've told me I've got to do this because it would have slipped through the net otherwise keep reminding me so I think that persistency is just key there actually I totally agree yeah. There's a very recent Edelman survey Mm -hmm. that's just just come out. I think it's a a, a 10-country survey where yet again it said people are turning to their employer to be a, a trusted, credible source of information during this coronavirus outbreak. And it seems, again, that this is an opportunity for internal comms to step forward and be that trusted source of information. Is this... An opportunity that, in your view, internal communicators perhaps haven't fully really understood that they can be this trusted source of truth amid all these institutions that we know, you know, trust is just dive bombing. Uh, most
1: of the internal communicators I know that I have been speaking with since all of this has started unfolding uh, are very aware of that opportunity, acutely aware of that opportunity. I don't think any anybody's looking at it necessarily opportunistically, but they realize that now they're being leaned on by the organization in a way perhaps they weren't before And their value is being recognized, which is great. I mean, if there's a silver lining that comes out of this, it's that more communicators will find that elusive seat at the table, or at least be seen as a more valued part of the management of the organization.
0: It seems, as you say, it's not quite right to be opportunistic about this crisis, but nevertheless, it could be an opportunity to certainly demonstrate your values and culture. And as you said up front, your organization is doing this exactly. How do you make sure that your crisis comms, which has to be fast, immediate, very reactive to the situation, aligns with something deeper around your values and purpose?
1: If the purpose and the culture and the values are living, breathing things, As opposed to being in some organizations, their words on the wall and leadership behaviors are uh, at odds with those statements. There's a say-do gap, Um, which, by the way, that's a driver of engagement, according to uh, the folks at Engage for Success there in the U.K., Uh, four drivers of engagement. One of them is uh, integrity, which is that leaders behave the way that they say they should. You're already doing that in your communications, if that's Mm -hmm. the case. You're Mm -hmm. looking to see how you can align the stories that you're telling and the messages that you're sending and the other activities that you're engaged with, with your culture and your values uh, and your vision, for for that matter. Uh, our purpose uh, is building solutions, bettering lives. Uh, so it's completely relevant to what we're doing. Um, as I have mentioned earlier, our, our CEO has repeatedly said that every decision the, the executive team makes is based on values. They're leaning into the values. The values serve as a reality check for the decisions they're they're making. So it, you know that makes it easy for us to communicate, but yeah I think you need to do that reality check as as a communicator, right? i'm I'm sending this message. How does it fit? You should be able to align it to a given value or to a purpose. and and, in fact, I developed a couple of years ago, and I just did this for myself because I was really struggling with you know trying to synthesize everything that had been happening in the internal communications world for. Several years, I, I developed a model for myself to use. And you know, one of the elements of that model is ensuring alignment with the, the values and that you're constantly reinforcing them and showing how leadership behaviors and, and leadership decisions fit with the values and fit with uh, the purpose.
0: Mm mm-hmm. This is certainly must be a test of lots of corporate cultures, I'm guessing, because where you've got a strong culture, strong values, and they're well understood, people know, as you say, naturally how to act in the right language and tone. But where perhaps that's not where it should be, then it's a, it's a bit more of a, of a struggle, I guess. That's, that's the point.
1: Right. Well, you know, a lot of internal communicators don't get down into the trenches at the operational level a lot of us are accustomed to producing collateral, right? This is what Mm. we do. We do newsletters, we do intranet, we do videos. But if there is a failure to align a process with the messages that we're sending, then your communications lose credibility. So, you know, we we need to get out there in the trenches and find the processes uh, at the operational level that are not sending the same message, right? Mm. So... That's the way the communicators can really start to affect uh, the employee buy-in to values and purpose and, and other statements.
0: Just regarding transparency, there's always this battle, this sort of struggle between being open and honest and saying what's really going on, potentially saying, I don't know, as you say, you know, mm-hmm. we, we haven't decided yet, or we simply don't know. And on the other hand, worrying people. And so I'm just wondering where you stand on how much information is right to share with people.
1: A transparency is one of my favorite topics. I co-authored a book on transparency called Tactical Transparency uh, through IEBC. And I think the first thing that's important to do is, is define it. Uh, transparency does not mean throwing open all the doors and windows and, and exposing everything to the cleansing sunlight, right? I mean, there are things that you simply can't share. Uh, I, I assume it's true in the UK. I know it's true in the US. You can't share employee health information. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I mean, you'll, you'll wind up in jail if you do that, <laughs> right? Uh, you yeah. certainly don't want to give away product plans that a competitor could use. Uh, transparency means that you are providing access to the information and resources that people need to make an informed decision, so if you understand what the informed decision is that your employees are trying to make, right, should I be doing my work, uh, should I be looking for a job, things like that, Yeah. You know, then you should try to always err on the side of information. People are worried without anything internal communications is doing. We don't have to do anything to create the worry that you mentioned. They're already worried. And the Edelman survey that you mentioned, the coronavirus-specific survey, uh, made it clear that people are looking for information from their employers. It's the preferred credible source of information. Uh, by telling them what we're doing and what we're planning and and what our expectations are of employees and and all of that information. Uh, we're actually providing comfort. We're on top of this. We're thinking about this. We're doing everything we can to make sure that there's a job for you. Right. Um, mm. I, I don't. Yeah, and, I, and I got some of this initially is if, if we start communicating about this, we're just going to worry them. Yeah, There was a survey, I think it was done by Prudential, the insurance company that showed how worried working people were in the early days of all of this. Uh, what we want to do is comfort them. On one of the Zoom sessions that we did with the leaders of the organization, someone asked if salary reductions are being considered. And and the answer was yes, everything's on the table to keep the company viable. But it was also made abundantly clear that we're not there yet uh, or anywhere near it. Uh, So because our leadership has been transparent like that, uh, people generally believe that if something dire gets close, if it's in the offing, they're going to be told about it. Nobody's sitting there thinking our leaders are hiding something, there's a horrible thing going to happen and they're just not telling us. Nobody thinks that. So I think there's a great degree of comfort and that seems to be reflected in some of the comments we get in the Q&A at these sessions. So we've we've had employees say, we really appreciate your transparency and your constant communication.
0: It's interesting how transparency Builds trust, even when you're being transparent, as you say about potentially difficult issues. I think that I think that's fascinating, and 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 it's been backed up by the neuroscience now. So Mm. we've always known this as communicators, but now the neuroscientists are telling us we don't like a void, we don't like uncertainty. So tell us how bad it can get, that's better than not telling us anything or trying to pull the wool over our eyes, I think.
1: I think it's also Um, important to reinforce the idea that the employees in our organizations are adults. I met a CEO many, many years ago, I think it was at a Reagan communications conference, and he said, you know, when you sit in that CEO's chair, you're not aware of it, but there's a stupid ray that is aimed right at you. (laughs) That leads you to forget that these are adults and start to think of them as children who can't understand complex issues or take bad news. And he made himself go out onto a factory floor in his organization at least once a month and talk to the frontline people who were, you know, operating machinery uh, to remind himself that they were helping their spouses with a home-based business or they were scoutmasters or they were – uh, the treasurer of the local Kiwanis club, or you know, that they they are grown-ups and they can understand complex issues and they can take bad news. And and I think that's really important to to reinforce that with executives. And if they're not getting out into the field, make them.
0: I think that every time I look around the room when I'm doing an all-hands meeting, I think – Any of you could be running a business like this in a few years' time, and I might as well give you the information that I wish someone had told me (laughs) because you're quite adult enough to understand it and put it into practice, and you probably will. There's going to be many people now who are all of a sudden communicating with a large and remote workforce, and that is going to be a new challenge for them. But it's one I'm sure you've had many times in your career How should people start when they think to themselves, right, I've got to wrap my arms around these people that are no longer based on site? What could they start thinking about to help?
1: Frankly, this is a situation that existed before this work from home scenario occurred, Uh, is, is we've sort of had this democratization of communication. I mean, when I started in this industry in 1977, I was with Arco, the oil company, and there was one way that employees found out what was going on. It was a weekly newspaper that I was an assistant editor of. Today, employees can choose the internet, they can choose email, they can look at the digital signage. I mean, there's just everybody chooses the channel that appeals to them. So you have to make sure that your messages are appearing in each of these channels, repurposed, of course, so that it works in that channel. But, you know, we have the articles on the Internet. We have the weekly email that goes out. We're doing a daily coronavirus update email, even if there's nothing to report. We say there's mm-hmm. nothing to report today so that they know that we're on top of this. We've got the coronavirus page. We've got the the video update every Friday, um, and other channels. Uh, And a lot of these are reinforcing and reiterating the same messages. We even have a a Teams channel now, a team with a channel that is just for employees to get caught up on this news. So wherever you want to get it, you can get it. So I do this is, I'm really interested in the results of the survey to see if the word is actually getting out to everybody Mm.
0: obviously a hard part hard job in this crisis is not being able to get out on site and actually see what's going on and ask people how they're feeling but we need to get real-time feedback from employees as you said early on to find out how they're thinking and feeling we need to know what they need to know what's the best way of checking the pulse and checking the vibe you talked about your your staff engagement survey there is it just that collection of data points across your different channels, or is there something over and above that, perhaps, people Oh no, be doing?
1: That's, yeah, that's uh, just lucky that that was coming up at this time. Uh, Pulse polls, uh, just getting in touch with people and asking. I participate in, for example, the operations management meetings. Uh, I'm not a member of operations management, but they go around and they ask everybody who's responsible for projects how your people are doing. So that's input for me. Uh, Every time I reach out to an employee for something, I'll ask how they're doing. Sometimes I'll just call somebody and say, tell me what's going on. Uh, How's it going? I mean, any way that you can find to ask. Also, I'm in touch with our HR business partners because they're in touch with people. Uh, I'm part of Human Resources. Makes it real easy to to get in touch with those HRBPs and and say what are you hearing? Um, what are, what are people worried about? Because uh, they're highly trusted uh, in the organization and and people are talking to them.
0: Mm. It's interesting that you said you join the ops meeting. You're not necessarily part of ops, but you're there just you know soaking up what's going on. Have you ever had pushback in your career from saying, can I just join that meeting or rock up on that call? Do you find that usually all you have to do is just ask permission? Uh, absolutely.
1: Uh, you know, there's first of all, uh, I have given nobody any reason to think that I'm going to s- spill the beans if something is discussed <laughs> that is not for broader Distribution, But then, you know, you're able to demonstrate your value because if they are addressing an issue and you can raise your hand and say, you know, that's a communication challenge and I can actually help you mm, with that. Mm. Then they want you back in, in that yes. meeting. Yeah, I've yes. also volunteered for uh, some committees. For example, I'm on the Northern California Safety Committee. Um like anybody in construction, I'm very interested in, and concerned about safety. But the primary reason I did it was because I'm now working with a bunch of operations people and safety managers and, and gathering the insights and intelligence that I get just, just from being part of that community. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think sitting in the communications office and only going out when you're covering a story is a mistake. you you got to get involved. And, you know, it's it's something I've always said about IABC. Right. You can sit back and wait for them to deliver stuff to you or you can get involved. Um, Getting involved is going to deliver bigger dividends uh, Mm -hmm. than sitting back Mm -hmm. and waiting for stuff to show up. Uh, And I Mm -hmm. think it's the same in internal communications. The more groups that you can become a part of, the more insight you're going to gather from the organization that you can apply then to your communication strategy.
0: Mm, it's brilliant, and also the bigger your network gets as well. So oh, yeah. you have your <laughs> you have your trusted sources across the organisation that you can tap into and test out ideas. I think I think that's a brilliant idea. So I very probably mistakenly tried to write a blog today about some predictions in terms of the legacy that this crisis is going to leave us with from a communications and in particular an internal communications viewpoint now it's probably far too premature to be making predictions but if i put you on the spot do you have any ideas in terms of the long-term impact of this crisis on how we work
1: I can think of three things off the top of my head. Uh, one we've already addressed, and that's there's going to be more respect and recognition for internal communications functions. Uh, most of them. <laughs> I think that potentially you're going to see more organizations accept work from home. The people, organizations that said, ah, oh, we can't have our people working from home are now going, wow, it actually works. Um, And in fact, the the LinkedIn column that my president and CEO wrote says, you know, construction is a very traditional business. We have never looked at work from home, but now that we're doing it and we have estimators and project uh, controllers uh, and accountants and the like all working from home and the work's getting done, uh, why couldn't we? This is a potential future for the construction industry. And one of the things that we struggle with in construction is uh, work-life balance. Mm. Uh, and if you can start to, what they're doing out on project sites, for example, uh, where the large enough projects, uh, is rotation. So in order to maintain so- social distancing, you have half the number of project engineers on the site. These are the, They do have to go out onto the project from time to time. But the other half are working from home, and then they'll rotate. And if I'm working from home and you're on the project, I can ask you if you can go out on the project and and check this for me. Maintains the social distancing, but now you've got half these project engineers whose work-life balance was maybe not what they hoped it would be, working from home and not doing these two-hour commutes. Uh, mm. So that's a potential future, and we're learning how to communicate in that uh, world. And I think that's a, a possible future is that work from home will be an audience uh, that we have to factor in as a, as a routine. I don't think this is going to be all at once. I, I think this will probably be over probably a decade. Mm, uh, mm. But it's, it, I think it's going to happen. Um, and the other thing is that and, I, and this may be more aspirational on my part than, than actually believing companies will do this. But, but I think you're gonna, I hope you're going to see more contingency planning. Uh. Uh, I was on a call with a, an organization. It was the, uh, the Institute of Strategic Risk Management. And it was all these senior risk managers from organizations from around the world. And one thing that they all agreed on is that this is not the big one. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. They, they said, look, you've got a 2% mortality rate. Uh, I mean, this is horrible and it's and it's ridiculously inconvenient. But what's out there, baking is is some resistant virus that is going to have a 20, 30, 40% mortality rate. And this should be the dress rehearsal. Wow. For that so. I think when everything returns to whatever the new normal is after this outbreak has passed, organizations need to sit down and say, what did we learn from this and what do we need to do to be prepared for the next one? And internal communicators need to be part of that conversation and part of that planning process because unlike this time when a lot of us have been inventing it, um, (laughs) we need to have it ready to go. Uh, I'm hoping that this is the learning experience that means we know what we're going to put into place when the next thing comes
0: along. Mm, that's a very sobering thought, but I think a very important one as well. And let's hope for lots of sharing of best practice around what worked and what didn't work. I think that would be really useful within the community. And I'm sure IABC will inevitably pay its part in that, I'm sure. Can I, can I turn to those quick fire questions, Shell, if sure. that's OK? So what would most surprise people about Shell Holtz?
1: Well, it would only surprise people who don't know me. Uh, those who do are well aware of this, but I'm a deadhead. In general, a fan of jam bands, ah. improvisational music. But I've, I've, I, I, I was at over 100 Grateful Dead shows when they were still touring. Wow. Is that the poster the that's
0: behind you? That's
1: Jerry Garcia <laughs> that you see back there, yes.
0: And what is it you love so much about the Grateful Dead? Go on, tell me
1: that and jam music in in general it's just the improvisation it's it's going to a concert where they're it's a relationship with the audience it's like going on a vacation for just a couple hours really yeah <laughs> i love it we'll,
0: we'll play out with some of that music do you have a favorite track we can play out with
1: oh good heavens
0: yeah play out with ripple what one book, journal, or website? It really doesn't matter. But what should all our listeners be be reading or listening to? Well, I, can I give you two? Uh, yes, one please. One do.
1: Website. Uh, the book would be Inside Organizational Communication. It's from IABC, the International Association of Business Communicators. Every chapter is written by a subject matter expert, and I've I've always found it to be brilliant uh, and and well worth your time, and it. it it's not just internal communications. It's the full range of organizational communication, but it really explains how they all fit together and and interrelate and, and interact. Uh, for a website, I have become a huge fan of IC Collective. Uh, Lisa Michaud yes. cited it has become, unless I'm missing something, the best repository of resources on internal communication on the web.
0: I couldn't agree more. And at the moment, their COVID repository, I think they call it, is very comprehensive. Yep. And they're updating it all the time. Again, we'll put that in link in the show notes. So here's one that sometimes flusters people. What would you do tomorrow if you knew for certain you couldn't fail?
1: Oh, man, I'd, I'd go to any casino I could find that was open and put it all on red. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And um, would you cease to be a corporate communicator, show? Yeah, Is there something right. else you'd be doing no, in your actually,
1: life? No, actually, actually, I would. I have often thought, if I ever won the lottery, I still wouldn't retire because I don't know what I would do with my time. I love what I do. I have more fun. I had to confess to an executive, my my boss, in fact, the senior VP of HR. She said, "Are you having fun?" And I said, "I have to admit, I am. I'm having a blast." I imagine a firefighter who trains and trains and trains, but never gets to go fight a fire. You know, this 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 is this has been great. Now, honestly, if if uh, I knew I couldn't fail, um, I would do something that I have been trying to convince our leadership to let me do, Um, and it's only budgetary concerns that have kept it from happening. Well, there's also one other, but um, I would introduce one of the um, employee apps, uh, you know, Dynamic Signal, Social Chorus, uh, one of those. Mm, uh,
0: mm. And is it mainly budgetary? Because I know a lot of my clients are debating whether they should have one or not have one, and it does seem mainly budget. Would you say that that's yeah, but- the thing that people
1: yeah, it's it, they're they're not cheap, especially the first year because of the setup fees. Uh, we were looking at about one hundred yes. uh, and fifty thousand. Yes, and the budget it was just not feasible the last two years that I have wanted to do it. Um, I, but I believe that done right, these make a, a tremendous difference, giving employees a consumer grade. Mobile solution for communication that is two-way and and multi-directional. One of the things that I I've wanted to do, and when we did the first internal communication survey, one of the things I found is that information and knowledge were very trapped in silos in the organization. Mm. This is nothing mm. other communicators don't encounter, but in construction, every job site, every project is like its own little company.
0: Ah. There's
1: there's just no. Sharing, if I come up with a solution in my project, how does somebody on another project find out about that? It's it's not shared. And one of the things you could do with one of these apps is to create a channel where people will take a short video or a picture and share it and say, here's a solution. Mm. So I think it would facilitate that breaking down of the, the silos uh, and sharing of information in addition to accommodating the way most people get most of their news and information these days from outside the company. So that's what I would do.
0: It makes perfect sense. So who comes to mind when you think about the world's best communicator, alive or dead
1: That's a hard one because there have been so many great communicators, but I keep coming back to Ed Robertson. Ed Robertson was the, I can't remember who's manager director or what of, of internal communications. Uh, But he was so good uh, at his job that the CEO, uh, I should note the company he worked for was FedEx. Uh, The CEO said, uh, you're going to report directly to me. Um, so Ed reported to uh, the CEO of of FedEx, and did spectacular things uh, in the organization. He also developed some models that have been invaluable. I read one of these back in the old print communication vehicle from IABC Communication World. It had a horrible name. I I have to confess it was uh, the Pyramid of Communication Quality. Ooh. But what he said, if if you if you think of Maslow's. hierarchy. Uh, This only has five layers, uh, four labels. One of them is split in two. The first is logistics, right? If you get a publication in the wrong language, that's a failure of logistics. If the design is so awful that you can't read the text, that's a failure of logistics. So if the logistics work, you get to the next level and that's attention. Did it get enough of the audience's attention in order to pick it up and look at it? And, of course, what gets the attention, for example, of the people in the C-suite is not the same as what gets the attention of the people who are uh, out putting rebar up on a project, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So what gets their attention? If you get their attention, the next level is relevance. And and there's really two layers to relevance. First of all, does this have anything to do with me? Because you get my attention, I look at it and I go, there's nothing to do with me. I'm going to toss it aside. Um, once I realize it does have something to do with me, the question is, uh, by paying attention to it, is my life going to be better? Will I have a better opportunity to succeed? Will my career, uh, progress, uh, the the way I'm hoping it will, will I make more money? Will I keep my job? Will I advance? You know, whatever. Um, only then can you get to that top of the pyramid, which is what do you want from me? Right. Which do you want me to do something differently? Do you want me to believe something? Do you want me to think something? What do you want? Why are you sending this to me? And and, let's face it, if if we're communicating something that isn't based on looking for something from the audience in return, why are we communicating it? Even if it's just understanding that the culture is what we say it is, right, reinforcing that. I saw Ed present that at a conference, and um, that I, was, I was a fan of his ever since. He passed away several years ago, unfortunately, but um, yeah, he's at the top of the pyramid for me.
0: What's lovely about that model is it works perfectly well today for all our many and varied digital channels. It doesn't matter how you're getting content out to people, that's still so entirely relevant, isn't it? Exactly. So Yeah. So finally, we give you a big billboard for millions to see, sort of a metaphoric billboard, really. But anyway, we physically do put this message on it for you as well, just to see what it would look like. So you have a message you can get out to the world what is your message?
1: Well, it's it's uh, not surprisingly going to be a Grateful Dead lyric uh, <laughs> from from the lyricist Robert Hunter, uh, who wrote, Once in a while you can get shown the light in the strangest of places if you look at it right. And that's always resonated with me as a communicator, because I, I think we don't go looking in strange places for inspiration and for answers and uh, throughout the organization there are lots of places that we should be turning our attention to to find the stories to tell uh, and to find the case studies and the examples so that one resonated with me
0: but it's so perfect for our times because as we've said there is light to find in this crisis in terms of stepping up to the plate and showcasing a different role, a more strategic and important role for internal communication. So, it fits perfectly, yes, Shell. Thank you so much. <laughs> I aspire, Shell, to be able to uh, communicate so well in a podcast. You've obviously your years of experience. Just
1: make <laughs> well, it clear. Yeah, Neville, Neville and I started ours in in January two thousand
0: five. So, when podcasts probably weren't even properly. A thing, I guess. So that it was a we, very long time we ago. I think there were about 400 podcasts
1: when we wow. started. Wow.
0: And do you still enjoy it as much as you, you yes. did at the
1: beginning? Uh, yeah, it kind of kills me that we only do it monthly now, um, since I've gone back to work full time. And Neville has too, frankly. So every Thursday at, I think it's 6 p.m. Uh, UK time, we're doing a, a, an FIR uh, Zoom Anybody who wants to join us, whatever communication topic comes up, we'll all talk about it for a half hour, 45 minutes, and then we're posting those as episodes. So that seems like so we're can, back to weekly.
0: Can, can anyone join that? Are you happy yes. for me to do a yep. shout out on that?
1: Yeah, if you go to FIRpodcastnetwork.com, uh, the news, uh, the the top item there is about these weekly, as long as the coronavirus is having us all work from home uh weekly opportunity for listeners to get together. We did one. Um, we weren't thinking of doing it weekly, but we enjoyed it so much and we had about a dozen people show up, uh, including some of our longest term listeners.
0: Shell, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute honour and a privilege to be speaking to you. And I know when you're so busy, so I completely appreciate it. Thank uh, you. It's a
1: pleasure. I appreciate the invitation, and I I do listen to your show, so it's an honour <laughs> to be here.
0: So that's a wrap for this episode of the Internal Comms Podcast. To find out more about the books and the other resources that Shell and I mentioned. Head over to the show notes at abcom, that's A-B-C-O-M-M.co.uk for the show notes. And while you're there, you might like to sign up for our monthly IC newsletter. It's called I Saw This and Thought of You. And it'll give you updates on the show, plus other newsy nuggets from the world of internal comms. And don't forget, if you'd like to start a conversation about this episode, I'd love to hear from you. So give me a shout out on Twitter using the hashtag #TheICPodcast, podcast. And I'll be responding by taking over at ABThinks, our agency Twitter feed. If you did like this episode and you think other internal communicators might also find it useful, I'm told the best way of making us more discoverable for other icy pros out there is for you to simply rate it on iTunes. If you could do that, I'd be very grateful. Now we have some great guests coming up. The Internal Comms podcast is going to be with you throughout this crisis. Next is the icy luminary Bill Quirk. I'm very excited about that episode. Please hit subscribe today so you don't miss it. All that remains is for me to say thank you. Thank you for choosing the Internal Comms podcast. And until we meet again, lovely listeners, stay safe, stay well, and remember it's what's inside that counts.